Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. the mini break your daily podcast for the biggest storylines results and controversies from the tennis world today is friday june 11th the unthinkable has happened rafael nadal knocked out in the semifinals of the 2021 french open novak djokovic delivering one of his finest performances at a grand slam in his career of course now he's got the chance to capture his second grand slam title at the french open become one of only three men to accomplish that in men's tennis history. Of course, he still has one match to win. That match going to be against Stefano Tsitsipas, who reaches his first Grand Slam final of his career, earning a five-set victory over Alex Zverev. A fantastic day of tennis in the books. Of course, we still got two more to go here at the 2021 French Open as our women's singles final takes place tomorrow. Our men's singles final takes place on Sunday. Joining me on today's podcast to recap all of today's action, preview the women's final, also offer our initial thoughts on that men's final as well. You know him as our do-everything here at Cracked Rackets, forefather of the forehand slice, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri State history. It's James Foster McDonald. Jamie, seven hours of tennis in the books. How are you feeling, my friend? Uh, not as tired as Nadal, but uh, pretty <laughs> tired. Pretty tired, not going to lie to you. I got up early. I was jazzed. I was energized for the day, and it did disappoint. It was good. It was good. 
No, the quality of tennis from start to finish, even if Nadal... It was funny, Nadal Djokovic in about 20 minutes, really those first two games immediately put to shame the entire quality of the Zero of Pass match. And I will argue to the dying day that that Zero of Pass match, much like the Zero of team match, was better than the consensus seems to be surrounding it. But the quality of Djokovic-Nadal... Even though Nadal hadn't played his best tennis, this felt like the first time we've seen Novak Djokovic reach his absolute peak in quite a bit of time, maybe even in this entire season. It was impressive. I mean, I I don't think there's another way to put it. It was just so fun to watch. You mentioned the level of tennis. And look, we'll we'll get into exactly how it went set by set and, and across the whole match. But yeah, I mean, Djokovic, to be able to do that, to go out there and physically wear down Nadal. Yeah, he's older and I get that. But man, it's still Nadal around. So it was it was a comprehensive performance and even if that he got off to a bad start honestly could have won the first set without that ridiculous 05 hole he just played better the whole match and nadal did what he does he scrapped he found ways to stay in the match but generally any way you slice it Djokovic was the better player and, and, and you know what better better player prevailed no, absolutely. And again, we'll get into that momentarily. Of course, we are going to recap both of those semifinals, as I mentioned, preview both the men's and women's finals as well. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out throughout this French Open here on the Meaning Break podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. It's officially summertime, and perhaps you need to update your gear to reflect that fact. Get yourself a new pair of shoes string that racket just a little bit tighter whatever it may be you can get it all taken care of with our friends at tennis point you go to tennis-point.com use that promo code cr15 you'll get 15 percent off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls remember it's tennis-point.com dash the symbol not the spelling tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with with that in mind, we're scrapping the chronological. Let's get into that Djokovic-Nadal match and to pick up where you left that thought, Jamie, because I think that's a very fair point and we talked about it a little bit uh, before we got on this podcast. It was a nine-game first set. I could argue that Djokovic played better than Nadal or certainly put himself in a position to win five of the nine games. And those first two games in particular, he roars out, wins that first point of the match and gets to 30-40 in the opening Nadal service game and credits to Nadal, who 30-40 first time goes big serve out wide, unreturnable ball. Hit faces another break point. Big serve down the tee, unreturnable shot, ends up winning the game. Djokovic then races out to 40-15 in his game. Nadal, you know, as Nadal... Nadal does claws his way back, then rips off five consecutive games. Now, to Djokovic's credit, he wins those last three. And Nadal had to fight like hell to win that 6-3 first set. But you could tell then, I would argue, and again, the scoreline reflects the fact in the end it's a four-set win for Djokovic. He ends up earning 3-6-6-3-7-6-6-2. I think Djokovic legitimately you could make a case outplayed Nadal not only for the entirety of the four hours and 11 minutes they were on court but in particular in all four sets as well yeah no I mean look he, he did and if like I said if you scrap the way that that started um this is a straight set match for Djokovic and he deserve I mean he deserves that sort of praise like he went out there and played that well and look yeah this is what you have to do against Nadal again is it the best of Nadal at the French Open no and, and we can talk a little bit more in depth about 
how well we thought Nadal played overall, you know, his physical state and also how he approached the match. But at a certain point, you just you just got to drop the racket and, and clap for Djokovic because that was I mean, that was master class, right? That's what you have to do. And, and he did it. So good for him. Now we'll get to the Nadal portion. I agree. Let's talk about the glass half full side for Novak, who makes 64% of his first serves, wins 65% of those first serve points. But the big number for him wins 50% of his second serve points, fights off 10 of the 16 breakpoint chances he faced. But, you know, both of these guys, because of how quality, uh, the quality of returner that they are, are going to have breakpoint chances against any server, regardless of that server's quality uh, in this match. You expect that breakpoint number to be high for both of these players at least traditionally it is but I mean Djokovic's ability to win the backhand to Rafa forehand exchanges cross court to be so disciplined in taking that plus one ball down the line if it's on that ad side inside in with his forehand down the line with his backhand to the Rafa backhand, but then also to have the discipline to realize I can't just routinely hit to that wing because then Rafa starts anticipating it. He takes advantage of the open open space, rips the backhand cross court. I'm on the run. I'm on my back foot. Rafa's then hitting a forehand no matter what on that next shot, and I lose the rally. And Rafa had plenty of opportunities to do that. You look for him in the match, 48 winners against 55 unforced errors. But the fact that Djokovic was at 50 winners to 37 unforced errors, A, speaks to the discipline he had in, you know, I need to attack the first ball to take control of the rallies, and B, the precision of his execution. He put the ball exactly where he wanted, whenever he wanted, and this was peak Djokovic. Again, this is as well as I've seen him play in a couple of seasons. I mean, look, this was really impressive stuff. Yeah, when you do look at that winner to unforced error count, I mean, yeah, it's evident Djokovic simply played a cleaner game. Now, when I look at the 55 unforced errors on the side of Nadal, yeah, based on how this match is charted, you know, when you're playing Novak Djokovic, things probably get counted as unforced errors that probably really aren't, um, you know, just given who's on the other side of the net and what he forces you to do, how he forces you to hit into a tiny target, all of the things that we've talked about for years now. But yeah, I mean, this was just, this was simply incredible from Djokovic. And, and you've got to think that Sitsipas is watching this match and is like, well, <laughs> if he plays like that, I'm in a lot of trouble because he was relentless with the pressure, especially on the return games. When it counted, yeah, Nadal did come up with some good stuff and was able to get key return points, get ahead in some service games. But, man, we saw some really, really clean playing from ahead in the later stages of this match from Novak Djokovic. It was the little patterns, and I think the big number, the five to eight shot rallies, Djokovic wins 53 to 39. He was so good at, you know, first serve goes out wide on the deuce side. Then that first forehand's actually going to the ad side to open up to the Rafa forehand so as to open up the backhand corner with that second shot. And it's, again, it was playing plus two tennis and just being on his front foot, being the aggressor. Some of the things he does out of the corner are just laughable. And, you know, again, Rafa earns the early break, goes up to love in that fourth set. And you think, okay, is the Rafa push coming? And the answer to that question was no. And that does get us to the Rafa side of this match. I think it's fair to say he did not play his best match. This was not vintage Rafa. 48 winners against 55 uh, unforced errors. We've seen him put up numbers astronomically better than that. And I just think throughout this match, he struggled, A, to find his range in his plus one ball. You look for him, you know, he and Novak played the zero to four shot rallies, essentially even Rafa, you know, actually trailed Novak in each of the categories in terms of rally length. But, you know, he made 65% of his first serves, and yet 
only won 59% of his first serve returns, only won 40% of uh, of his first serve uh, points, excuse me, only won 40% of his second serve points. I just, A, it's a testament to Novak's returns, which were just, and you said this when we were talking on the phone, they drop on the baseline, and you're like, oh, that ball's going three, four inches out. Nope, it drops right on the baseline. He does that with every return. If he gets his racket on the return, he's neutralizing the point. Um, but I also think Rafa just... He struggled with his depth in this tournament. Like, you could tell if you watched Rafa play, despite the fact that he got better and better in a lot of his matches, in not any of them did he play that sort of dominant first forehands just blitzing by you and I'm hitting everything past you sort of match. Yeah. No, I, again, this is this is where it's hard, you know, to be critical of a guy like Nadal in this sort of stage. And it's hard to talk about his performance isolated because most of what he was trying to do is in the box of what Djokovic was forcing him to do point after point. And, you know, I think, look, you made a good point about how, you know, the patterns didn't get too static from the side of Djokovic, but man, did he, I mean, he, he proved a point in the second and third sets. that it's like, Hey, I can pin you in this backhand corner, right? Like mm-hmm. I can do this point after point after point. So you're going to have to come up with something. And then from there, as the match progressed, you see things get a little bit out of that. But how many times did we see down the line rallies backhand to backhand because they were afraid to open up the court on one another because they both knew how good each other was when they're pushed and have forehands on the run. So really interesting tactically. I, I know, you know, there were a couple things that I wish I, I would have seen the doll do a little bit more. First of all, on the deuce side, switch up that serve a little bit more, you know, the thing and it all just kept putting it into the body and the tee and yeah he came up with some really great first serves at certain times but Djokovic was dialed in you know especially after those first few return games where he really did not do much competitively he locked in on him he calibrated and he said this is what I need to do to return and he was able to do so with depth and a certain amount of comfort I would have loved to see Nadal employ that kick out wide on the deuce side a bit more you know potentially get up nice and high on that Djokovic forehand and then start the point from there you know look you are in a bit of a danger zone when you're hitting open court to the Djokovic backhand especially if you're trying to do something like come in on it we know how dangerous Djokovic is when he has that on the run we, we saw that you know several times in this match but I just think there were some some opportunities opportunities for him to throw in a little more variety on the serve because you know Djokovic got so comfortable knowing hey here's this serve that's going to come slicing at my body or maybe a bit out to my backhand and, and he was just dialed in on it throughout the entire match after those first few return games yeah no and it also felt at times that there were moments when Djokovic was ready to give this match to Nadal at the end of that third set when he served for the match up 5-4 and honestly had the chances to close it out in Nadal's 3-5 service game and just you know gave those two games away and then felt like he was going to get broken down 5-6 ends up holding there and plays a really good tiebreaker but it felt like Rafa could have stolen that third set and when he didn't when Djokovic t- took that two sets to one lead even when he went down to love it just felt like Djokovic had control of the match because Rafa had failed to seize on the few moments where Djokovic looked vulnerable but I do think a lot of the time Djokovic was offering up attackable shots and Nadal just didn't have them in today's match and again that's a testament to the relentless pressure Djokovic placed on Nadal but you know Again, Rafa had his chances. Now, 
you move beyond it big picture this is a break back for Djokovic in the Grand Slam count total because that U.S. Open was on his racket and obviously he hit it at the line judge's throat and then he loses that opportunity and there's no doubt he would have very very likely earned his 19th now Grand Slam title there he didn't it's at 18 number a lot of people were penciling this one in for Rafa to get to number 21 Rafa's not going to do that and now Novak obviously enters the favorite against uh you know, Stefan as the favorite against Tsitsipas in the final. You look for Djokovic now. This is his 29th Grand Slam final, Jamie. Just again, in perspective, freaking unbelievable. You look for him in his career. He's 18 and 10 in Grand Slam finals, 89 and 36 in his career in finals in general. I mean, the guy's an absolute stud. And I I just think, again, you look at this performance, I'm not going to ask you to say, is this one of his five best wins, but for him to summon this level at this moment of his career win, you look at his clay court season, I mean, it was fine. Good, not great. He loses in Belgrade 1 to Karatsev, loses in Monte Carlo to Dan Evans, then makes the final of Rome, loses to Nadal, wins Belgrade 2. Obviously, has benefited from a pretty comfortable job, but the good win over Musetti Berrettini, now the incredible win over Nadal. Your thoughts on Djokovic, this run, and again, just perspective on where he's at. I mean, yeah, first of all, this was a ridiculous performance from Djokovic. Yeah, maybe this wasn't the best from Nadal, wasn't truly his vintage self here. I mean, the guy's old, so we get it. But, dude, this was this was out, out of this world. I'm sure you and I could go back and talk about specific matches, particularly in those crazy seasons, 2015, early part of 2016 especially, um, you know, where Djokovic was just out of this world. But, I mean, some of the things I was seeing from the baseline rallies and neutral points in this match was just outrageous. I mean, especially the way he was able I – mean, he just looked rock solid. Like, we know the backhand's going to be that good, but the forehand was disgustingly good in this match. Um, and so at this point where he's at, I, again, this doesn't really change anything because he's pretty much got to be the favorite going into every Grand Slam at this point maybe not Roland Garros, especially moving forward because he's proven that he can do this. Now, it's still Nadal on clay, and he can bounce back. I, I'm not, we're not going to go crazy into that, but especially for the other slams, two of which are on the hard courts, I mean, it's Djokovic all day, um, and, and he's just looked that good. And so crazy that he can sustain this sort of level. Do I expect the tennis in the final to be this good? Probably not. This is probably true, you know, truly deserving of a Grand Slam final level, but regardless of who wins the final, um, Djokovic going to be entering the favorite. I expect his level to be very, very high. It would be disappointing to see a let off from that. Um, and I, I mean, what else can you say? It's Novak Djokovic. The guy has won this many slams for a reason, and he has many more slams to win in his back pocket, in my opinion, for the same reasons. No, I, if he wins, and here's the, the crazy part, is that winning all four slams this year is now on the table. And it wasn't going into this French Open because you assumed Rafa's going to get it. And if he does that at the age of 34, we can end the discussion. Like, that is the greatest achievement in men's tennis history. The level of dominance at this age, he'll have had, the, he'll have the record at that point, most Grand Slam titles. He has the Masters records. He has the most weeks at number one record. He has a winning record against his two rivals. He'll have all of the records. Like, at that point, again, I think we can put a pin in that discussion for a little bit longer. 
At the same time, to open up that Rafa discussion, and you look for Rafa throughout this clay court season, it was still a pretty damn dominant clay court season for Rafa overall. And you look for him, he's 37-7 and now in his last 52 in terms of clay court matches in that time. He's 28-3, and the three losses, or 28-4, excuse me, the four losses. Djokovic here, Zverev in Madrid, Rublev in Monte Carlo, Schwartzman in Rome. Like, those are four top ten losses in the case of Zirov and Djokovic. Those are two top five losses. And I still think I got to see him lose at Roland Garros twice in a row before he doesn't enter the tournament as the prohibitive favorite. But I do think if you watch Nadal closely, first set against Yannick Sinner, those first two sets, honestly, against Schwarzman, he probably should have been in a two-sets-to-love deficit. Even that third set against Popperin in round one, we never got vintage Nadal in this Roland Garros, and that's the first time you can say that since maybe ever, like since he was injured in the tournament, even against Soderling, that had more to do with Soderling than anything else. Like, this is the first time in the while you say that, and I'm not writing him off, but I am acknowledging that. Yeah, I mean, look, unfortunately, this is this is what we see. We see a guy who's getting older, and we see some physical decline. I mean, yeah, obviously, you can't count him out because of what he's done, and still, the level he was able to display, let's not take that away his level was still very, very good. Djokovic was just exceptional. And look, last year, Nadal, yeah, you know, maybe his first few rounds weren't the most impressive opponents, but he was dismantling them. I mean, and he was just coming through in in sort of record fashion. So look, Nadal, when this comes to the grand scheme of things, yeah, Djokovic probably going to go down as the greatest in terms of those accolades. You know, I think he, I think he and Nadal are actually tied right now in terms of the Masters titles. I think they're both at 36, but I expect um, just like the Grand Slam final count or uh, excuse me winning count i expect that the masters um champion count will also go the way of djokovic pretty much all of those accolades i I expect him to at least stay um i think he's going to play until he has them all let's just put him that way and it doesn't seem it doesn't seem out of the picture one bit nor does the calendar slam for this year i mean at this point you're gonna tell me he's not the huge favorite to win wimbledon like he just is and then after that if he's done it sure maybe there's some pressure there but back to a hard court that's Djokovic's territory. So, no, it, it becomes very real at this point. And not only would he do the calendar slam, but at that point, he would have more than caught up um, to Fed and Nadal in the Grand Slam count. I mean, it's all things are looking Djokovic right now. And plus, if you add a couple more years at the very least of him being around and relevant at the very, very top, which I think is more than possible. I mean, yeah, this this is uh, this is record breaking, quite literally. No, his level of play today, again, that's as good as I've seen him play a clay court match. And by the way, worth mentioning, this match so hyped up, so impactful, that President Macron of France decided to waive the curfew and let the fans stay, not only in the match, I suppose he waived the curfew across France, but... Was that a Paris-centric Roland Garros decision? I don't know. I can't definitively say no to that fact. I will say having the crowd in in effect and just in in the action four sets three and four it made the match like it, there was an energy level to this match it just felt like tennis was back Jamie and this did feel like one of those special occasions because even if Rafa wasn't at a hundred percent he was at 75 80 percent you know maybe 82 at the peak but this was prime Novak Djokovic and again we just don't know how often we're going to get to see one of these players play at their absolute best against the other uh, or we don't know how much longer that's going to last 
Yeah, exactly. And and look, this has, you know, in some ways, it, it kind of rekindles the discussion. I remember we had back in 2017 when Fed and Nadal showed up in that ridiculous Aussie Open final that was, incre- it played at an incredibly high level. Um, you got to wonder, after number 58, how many of these top tier sort of clashes are we going to see between these two guys? I think it's still plenty, given the level they displayed today. It's still, <laughs> those two are able to beat anybody else on the tour um fairly comfortably if they're playing at the level that they were today but um no i mean again it's just a treat to be able to grow up in this era and see this continuation but what it means for the future i'm not sure except for my confidence in djokovic holding all of those accolades and coming up with the records by the end of his career is is simply growing they've played 58 times how many times has it been in a final out of the 58 times i gotta I'm going to say out of the 58 times, 35. 29. But still, that's freaking crazy. A, the fact that they've played 58 times is freaking nuts. Like, that really is insane. That speaks to A, and the fact that half of them have been in finals speaks to the consistency of these two players, speaks to the fact that if they are in the draw, they are going to reach the final stages of the event, and it's just a question of do they play each other in the semifinal or in the final, because that showdown is happening. Like, I think that number in itself, the fact that they've played 58 uh, 58 times and in 29 finals, this is the best rivalry in men's tennis history. And just to leave, again, we'll get to Tsitsipasvirov after this, but just to leave a final note on this match, I don't think it's particularly close. These are the two players who have pushed the bounds of what physicality means in men's tennis more than any two players in the sport's history. And the contrast in styles between the two, it's just... It brings out the best in the sport, and the crowd reflected that fact. The energy in the stadium, the quality of the tennis reflected that fact. I I just think it's unequivocal at this point, Jamie. Like, I get Federer and Nadal, the pageantry, what that means to some people, but I just think from a tennis standpoint, and honestly, from a competitive standpoint, from what it's meant to the sports standpoint, this is the rivalry that has defined the big three era of men's tennis. I think it's fair to say. I mean, I think that, you know, that that opinion looks a little bit different uh, if we're not in 2021, if we're, you know, 10 years prior talking about this. Um, you know, obviously fair, but we're not. No, I know. But I'm saying, you know, it, when you consider the big three era, it sort of depends where you're looking and where you're focused. But in terms of the physicality, no doubt about it. I, you know, I wish, especially with these two guys, I really wish that people outside of tennis, outside of the sport, understood um, just the physicality that's required to do what these guys do because you know it's it simply you know a lot of times especially here in the states obviously it, it's just not respected um, in sort of the manner that it deserves unfortunately what these guys do and it's crazy and you see you know you see it in the next gen athleticism right this is what's required um, these guys you can talk about the actual physicality you can talk about what they're able to do day in, day out. You can talk about the longevity of both of them now well into their 30s and still putting up matches like this. It's simply outrageous, and they're setting the bar so, so high for generations to come now. Yeah, it's, again, I'm a believer in the next generation. The quality of this Nadal-Djokovic match put that Zverev-Sitsipas match to shame just because Mm -hmm. for four sets it was relentless, foot on the gas, no quit in either of these players playing to win for the majority of the time uh, sort of tennis. And you look at the contrast between that and our other semifinal, let's talk about that now. Stefano Tsitsipas reaching the first Grand Slam final 
of his career, excuse me, with a five-set victory. Now, three very different matches. You had the 6-3, 6-3, first two sets to Tsitsipas. Uh, Zverev was up a three-love break of serve in that second set, lost six straight games. You then had the 6-4, 6-4, third and fourth set for Alex Zverev. And then just a weird opening to that third set, uh, fifth set, excuse me, Zverev Goes up love 40 in the opening service game of Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas is able to hold. Zverev then goes up 40 love in his opening service game. Tsitsipas is able to break. Two love lead for Tsitsipas. He holds on to that break the rest of the way. 6-3 fifth set. I have a lot of thoughts on this one, Jamie, but I'll give you the floor first. Your reaction to Tsitsipas advancing to his first slam final. I mean, let's. Uh, for me, a lot of this is the story of Zverev. Yes, Tsitsipas went out there and won this in so many ways, um, and, and we'll talk about that. But I think what you just talked about, sort of navigating and, and sort of narrating how that match went, really encapsulates the story of Zverev not being able to close out opportunities, right? He shows up, and he plays his best tennis when he's down, right? He's down two sets to love. Okay, that's when he comes back. Then he has the momentum. And even in those games where he's up 40 love or love 40, depending on if he's serving or returning, then he gives that up. So him being able to close out with a lead, it's it's just a little disappointing. And that's not to say that, you know, I wasn't wanting Tsitsipas to win this match and wasn't excited to see him get across the finish line in this one. But man, it's just disappointing from the Zverev camp because as soon as, you know, he puts himself in a position to win, that's kind of when we see him step off the gas and we see other players rise above him. Whereas when he's in a hole, we see him dig deep and get back to even. And, and look, it, we can even draw back further to the to the final of the U.S. Open against team. Look, the level of tennis in that match just simply not great. We don't have to go there, but gets up two sets to love and then crumbles it away. It's just it's hard to see over and over. Um, and it's getting better. It's not the same, you know, song and dance of everybody saying, "Oh, Zverev can't do anything in majors," because obviously that part is not true at this point. He's proven that he can get to these latter stages, but. Man, is it tough to watch, if you are a Zverev fan, to see him just miss out on these opportunities match after match. You look at set number three, Zverev makes 71% of his first serves, wins 73% of those first serve points, 67% of his second serve points. Set number four makes 71% of his first serves, wins 88% of his first serve points, 71% of his second serve points. He played the sort of dominant plus one tennis that he's capable of playing, and he used that, you know, first serve A, got a lot of unreturnable serves uh, on the racket of Stefano Tsitsipas because because he does have that sort of 125, 130 power when that serve is landing, and because he was landing it at such a high uh, rate, when he did have to hit second serves, he was able to be a little bit more aggressive with it. And again, physically, it felt like Zverev had Tsitsipas right where he wanted him going into that fifth set. It just, Zverev was tracking down everything Tsitsipas threw at him. And Tsitsipas, honestly, at a certain point in that fifth set, reverted to just grinding and rolling in his backhand and saying, you know what, I don't think you've got the balls, to be honest, to go big down the line, to try and hit a winner. And if you do come to the net, you're going to be so shaky when you move forward that I'm going to have an easy look at a pass as long as I can dip it at your feet. And it worked. Like, there's there's nothing short to say. It worked on Zverev on this day. And it's just, that was a little Dr. Seussie, apologize. Um, But 
it just like it did feel like this match was on Zverev's racket because he, the backhand down the line was starting to land in sets three and four, and even in sets one and two, he had his chances. It just didn't feel like Tsitsipas played his best tennis at any point in this match as well, and that's why this re- match felt so winnable for Zverev. And you look at the numbers for Tsitsipas overall in the match, 36 winners against 43 unforced errors to Zverev's 45-47 count. I mean, a lot of the numbers tilt towards Zverev's direction, and so that's why I can't disagree with you. Tsitsipas did not play a great match by any stretch of the imagination, but he did have the gumption down the home stretch, and you look for him in that fifth set in particular, goes 15 of 18 on first serve points, 6 of 10 on second serve points, doesn't, you know, get broken in the set, fights off the three break points he faces, he was clutch in the fifth. He just was willing to hit first forehands, move forward, and put Zverev under pressure. And it felt like when Zverev got a look at a second serve, he would miss it. When Zverev may have to return to a first serve, it was much more instinctual, so he wouldn't miss it. And it's just those are the problems that persist for Alex Zverev. I don't think there's anything else left to say because tennis-wise, physically, this match was on his racket. But mentally, again, he wilted. Yeah. He did. And, and look, you know, you can talk about a lot of the different things, the patterns and things that Zverev may or may not have done from the baseline. But I mean, how many times, I, you know, we don't need to be a broken record here, but how many times are we going to talk about the Zverev serve and specifically that second serve? One of eight in the fifth set down. on his second I know. serve. One that's, of that's eight. What I was, that's what I was literally about to say. Is in that <laughs> fifth set, when things are decided, you win 13% of your points on the second serve. You just, you just can't do that. And yeah, Two of those points are double faults. I mean, not that you can just throw those away, but even without those, <laughs> you know, the, the numbers still just are not good. It's just, it's tough. It's tough at this point for Alex Zverev. And it's hilarious, too. Paul Anikern was on the call for this one, at least on the stream that I was watching. And his barometer for how Zverev was or wasn't serving, he was talking about, you know, he was framing it in terms of how many matches, you know, he had. 10 or more double faults in and i was like dude that bar like i I know we've talked about zverev struggling with the second serve but that bar is way too high like we can't just accept that threshold as like oh well he didn't have 10 double faults in this match that's fine like it's outrageous um and and so yeah the, the the story continues to be that second set or excuse me that second serve letting him down in the big moments whether it's him not trusting it whether it's truly what is on that second serve and its quality at this point, it's just not good enough. Um, and so Sitsipas was very smart about it. He took advantage of those second serve looks. Like you said, he wasn't rushing things. He was playing a patient and smart game because he knew that when it came down to the big moments, he had more confidence in himself than Zverev would in, in set number five. And so Sitsipas, no, it wasn't his best display of tennis, but I think he did some really smart things and he was able to get it done. Look at the break points love 40 in that first service game of the fifth set. He misses uh-huh. two returns, and he plays a tentative rally that leads to a big pause forehand and put away at the net. And it's like that encaptured Zirov in the pressure moments. And look, pause did a lot of things well. Made 68% of his first serves, won 76% of those first serve points, fought off, you know, only faced six break points during the match and fought off three of them, uh, had a significant advantage, was plus seven in the 0-4 to four shot rallies, plus 9 in the 5-8 to eight shot rallies. And it did feel like Zverev was waiting for him to miss. Now, in sets 3 and 4, Tsitsipas was missing because Zverev was able to get that ball a little bit deeper in the court, and there was that zone Zverev hit in sets 3 and 4 where every return... It was the Djokovic zone. Like, I, I wanted to tweet out the joke. I left it in the queue that Nadal is just doing... Or, excuse me, Djokovic is just doing a really good Zverev impression in the semifinal just to try and be funny, but I was like, I think only I'll get it. Um... 
But, like, that's the truth is, like, when Zverev is hitting those returns, it's Djokovic-y. And just that ball is going to land on the baseline. And in sets three and four, every return was landing on the baseline. Tsitsipas just wasn't able to play plus one tennis. And the longer the rally went, the more it tilted towards Zverev. But that being said, like... He just got tentative in the even the, like he served well enough to win this match. He made seventy percent of his first serves, won seventy five percent of those first serve points, and was up love forty after winning sets three and four, and just let the match get away from him. Never recovered. Now there's a video that came out after the fact. Misha Zverev, who was on the call for the BBC, like admitted to some on court coaching of his brother. I don't really care about that stuff. That shit happens in every coaching box. This is a most pronounced example. And like, it's a huge conflict of interest, of course. And I totally acknowledge that, but whatever, that was not what made Zverev come back in sets three and four. I do think physically again, six consecutive fourth rounds or later at the major, he doesn't lose to players who aren't top 10, uh, like he is a staple of these later slams. It's all clicking for him, except for the aggression in the big moments. And it's just like, at what point do we think, okay, it's just not going to happen for him? Like he's still so young, turns twenty four this year if he hasn't already. Like I guess like, just to end the zero of tennis conversation because it does feel like when it looked good, like he had plenty of gas left in the tank. That wasn't the issue. He just couldn't find the big shots in the big moments. Yeah, no, he is twenty four already for the record. But no, I mean, look. This this is not one of those where we have to go and, and talk about, oh, the outlook of Alex Ferrov, because putting himself in these positions, especially when the big three are gone, like he will have his day, I think. You know, I, I think just the tennis speaks for itself in that in that sense. It is tough to see him get into this weird zone though, and it's almost I think that we've probably talked about this before, but it's a bit like Gael Monfils sometimes, because he can sit back there and be passive. He chooses to in the wrong moments. Um, and it gets him into trouble because he like lulls himself to sleep and, and playing the wrong type of tennis. And Sitsipas took advantage of that. Um, and, and so, you know, Zverev is going to have to go back, watch the tape, and, and try to discern what happened between sets three, four, and then five. Now, obviously, it, it started off well for him, or you at least think so, giving himself those opportunities, but just not able to sustain things. And I think mentally, he was just out of it after not being able to convert on those early chances. Yeah, and, you know, again, for Stefano Tsitsipas, let's look at the flip side for him now. He had the sort of breakthrough season, and he's had the sort of breakthrough season dating back to the start of last August, uh, where a Grand Slam final feels deserved for him. You look at the overall numbers for Stefano Tsitsipas since the tour resumed back in August. He has won, I believe the number is 76% of his matches. I don't, so he's won 76.4% of his matches, 55 and 17 overall. He's made the quarterfinals or further, Jamie, in 13 of 18 events, won two titles and five finals, has, has reached three consecutive slam semifinals, culminating in this first final here at Roland Garros. Of course, the title would be the cherry on top. But this is what a player entering their prime looks like, especially this is what that prime looks like when that prime is going to be top five for three to five years, if not longer. And of course, when it's longer than that, you have an all-time great. But Stefano Tsitsipas is now winning three quarters of his matches. He's doing it at the big events. You look at his recent losses, Djokovic in Rome, Rude in Madrid, Nadal in Barcelona. Uh, He wins Monte Carlo. Tennis Abstract has him second best player in uh, 2021 ELO, second best player in clay court specific ELO. All of these accolades are deserved. 
Like, if it's a big four right now, I have to say it's the four semifinalists we had here. I would throw Medvedev and Rublev in the mix as well. Like, those are my six. Those are the six guys I'm pretty sure are just better than everyone else right now. A healthy team is seven. Like, maybe you throw Berrettini in there at eight. But I feel pretty good about those first six. And honestly, I feel pretty good about team as well when healthy. Like, those are your seven right now. Those are the seven guys that matter most. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't know about the order on that. Given healthy team, uh, feels like you should be a bit higher in that one. But uh, no, I mean, look, it's it's really impressive what Tsitsipas has been able to do. And I mean, the guy is 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has so much time on the calendar to be able to do this. And it's just been impressive, especially in this clay court swing. He's proven what he can do. And, you know, sometimes you look at the strokes and you're like, oh, is he really going to be able to defend that well out of corners? Is he going to be able to do this, that? He's answered so many of those questions. Um, and so I think that was really impressive, not only in today's match, but from what we've seen from him across Roland Garros and the rest of the clay court swing. I, you know, I'm genuinely excited to, to see him face off against Novak now. You know, we won't go crazy into that preview, but it's going to be interesting. Now, d- saying that he deserves to be in the final i mean yes given how this draw broke for him for sure in in so many ways we have to feel like the match we just saw between Djokovic and nadal really felt like the final regardless of if sitsipas is able to pull off some crazy upset that would be great you know good for him but just the level of tennis and the story behind it man Djokovic and nadal uh, that semi-final is it's hard to um it's hard to play down in terms of the level and what that really meant for the tournament but regardless yes to the larger theme of what you're saying of Tsitsipas proving that he should be in that top conversation for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. He's proven that he's, you know, worthy of being in that conversation day in, day out, week in, week out, and especially when it comes to the slams. You guys know that I like to make clubs. The club that he is hanging out with, 2021 stats only. Here are the players who are top 15 in both hold percentage and break percentage. Djokovic, Nadal, Medvedev, Rublev, Tsitsipas, Zverev. Those are the six players that matter. Like, Dominic Team hasn't played well enough this season to be in that category. Again, you want to throw in him in there, that's fine. But Tsitsipas is in that group. And, like, you only enter that group each season if you are amongst the elite of the elite. And look at the names. The category, like, that sounds right, too, right? That sounds like who the best players on tour should be, those six guys. I mean, yeah, it's hard to argue with it. Again, I think yeah, again, it's about team being healthy and ready to play because when he you know, when he is, he can beat any of those guys. But um, it's not and- a team fact. It speaks to the fact that Tsitsipas is now elite at both of these yeah. skills. Like, this is what I'm saying is when you look at those six guys, you think those are six guys who are elite at each and every skill, and they don't have a discernible weakness, and that week in, week out, they bring it in every tournament they play. Like, Tsitsipas has reached that category. There's no doubt anymore in my mind that if he's in an event, more likely than not, he's ending up in the final, and he can very likely win it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I go back and forth on if Rublev deserves to be up there. He's had some great seasons where he racks up huge amounts of wins, and you know, I think he's on the precipice of something here, given, again, so young at 23 is Andre Rublev, but I, again, yeah, you're right. That's that's the top crop of people on the ATP tour, and you know the stats reflect that. Like it, it is what it is, and so now it, it does feel right. At least how this draw was given, that Sitsipas is coming out of the young next gen bottom half, and Djokovic is coming out of the top. It is, you know, they both deserve to be there at this point. If you extend it to top twenties, you include Karatsev, and I just feel like we yeah. should include Karatsev because he has been the I seventh mean, best player this season. Let's be honest. Um, I, yeah, I mean. You could make a case. I mean, he's been really. Anyways, this, this is a 2021 thing. This is, again, yeah. the numbers just for this season. 
Uh, anyway, Tsitsipas, well-deserving of reaching his first slam final. And, you know, again, just initial thoughts. We'll do a more full breakdown tomorrow. But we have Djokovic versus Tsitsipas. It's going to be, I believe, the eighth time the two of them have played in their careers. You look overall, it is a 5-2 advantage currently for Djokovic over Tsitsipas. Last time they played was in Rome this year. It was a three-set win for Djokovic. They've played three times on clay. All three wins for Djokovic. Two out of the three going the distance, of course, the most notable one, the five-set win for Djokovic. Last year, he was up two sets to love before Tsitsipas came roaring back. Then Djokovic closed him out 6-1 in the fifth set. Look... Both of these players come off two physical matches. There's no denying the four-setter for Djokovic over Berrettini. That quarterfinal match was physical. He had to be locked in mentally for so long as well. And then there's no more draining task than playing four sets of tennis on clay against Rafael Nadal. You look for Tsitsipas. Same deal. Mentally, I know it was a straight set win, but mentally how draining that three-set match was against Medvedev. And then to have to come back from dropping two consecutive sets to win that fifth set and just reaching your first Grand Slam final. I mean, if Djokovic plays like he did against Rafa, he's not losing to anyone. But certainly Tsitsipas has the decisiveness to do it. He's beaten Djokovic twice, so he has that sort of confidence. And again, there's a hubris to the Greek player that you just feel like he's never out of any match. That said, your takes on the final. Initial takes. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, let's talk about from the, you know the, the the mental aspect of this. I'm really glad that it's Tsitsipas who gets to go up and challenge uh, Djokovic as opposed to Zverev, because especially from what we saw with Zverev, you know, I think I would have seen a little bit of that passive gameplay, that you know, a little bit scared to be out on the stage, a bit cowering in the big moments. I don't think we're going to see that from Stefano Tsitsipas. Does that mean I think he's going to go out there and rip winners and, and do everything incredible and play a perfect match and win straights? No. Because it's Novak Djokovic, and we saw what he was able to just, just you know, what I, what he was able to do against Nadal. There again, we don't have to go into that and how impressive that was. But Sitsipas, to me, mentally, he's going to be there. He's going to be locked in. He wants this challenge, um, and he wants to be on this stage with Djokovic. I expect him to come out roaring, and for that first set to be really, really, really exciting. Um, and so I expect Stefanos to give him a really good challenge. I'm very excited for that match. Just I, I am. I think Sitsipas has weapons to be able to flatten out, and if he's on fire to be able to hit through Djokovic, I think that's something that Djokovic did better than Nadal today was flatten out the ball in the big moments and truly hit through him. It didn't really feel like Nadal could hit through Djokovic unless Djokovic pulled him out wide and left so much of the court open, whereas Djokovic was able to step in and really flatten out, especially the forehand. I think Sitsipas is going to be able to do that. Now, will he be able to execute and hit into these tiny targets that Djokovic makes you do, time will tell. We don't know that. But I, I'm very excited that it's Tsitsipas as opposed to Zverev because mentally I think he's ready for this sort of challenge. See, I think physically Zverev would have pre- presented an ultimate challenge to Djokovic in the final because Zverev would have just persisted. And Zverev has routinely given Djokovic trouble in their Grand Slam matches, in particular in their matches of late, just because he does have the big first serve as the weapon and he can extend those rallies 10, 15 shots as well. The thing for Djokovic, A, if he plays this sort of match physically that he did against Nadal, 
we don't need to play the match on Sunday. Djokovic no, is winning that Grand Slam. The question is yeah. if he can only summon eighty five percent, ninety percent of that angle or of that of that performance, then I think that Berrettini quarterfinal match becomes that much more helpful because uh, Djokovic executed his plus one ball against Berrettini with such precision, and that's what you have to do against Tsitsipas. Now I think the Zverev match showed that if you're able to get a big first serve into the body of Tsitsipas, he'll leave you an attackable first ball. And certainly Djokovic, he's going to have to serve with the discipline he did against Rafa because when you leave a second serve hanging, Tsitsipas is running around that ball, hitting a forehand, being the aggressor in the point. And honestly, his forehand is good enough to play on his terms, even against a locked-in Novak Djokovic. At the same time, with the way Djokovic is serving, like I just don't know how you beat him when he serves this well because he's going to put a million returns deep into the court. And I just didn't see... There wasn't that relentless confidence from Tsitsipas today. There was a little bit of doubt in sets, two, even sets one and then th- uh, three and four in particular. Now, he, re- you know, he composed himself in set five, but you just can't have any doubt when you play Djokovic. You have to attack from start to finish, and even if you miss, well, fine. At least you're playing on your terms. Now, I think Tsitsipas has that gear in him, and I do think physically, because he is, hey, that match against Zverev, it went five sets, but it wasn't like this long, laborious, you know, incredibly physical match. I do think Tsitsipas is going to be fresh in this match and be willing and able to attack, particularly at the start of the match. Now, I think Djokovic has come out really hot at the start of all of his matches here in Paris, and that's, I think, the issue for Tsitsipas, is Djokovic has been locked in in a way here in Paris that sometimes he isn't at the start of tournaments, at the start of matches, and we saw it today against Nadal from start to finish. This is Novak's slam to lose. That's my initial thought, is you can throw the numbers out the window. I don't care if Djokovic's serve is less effective on clay. If he's hitting the return this well, if he's moving this well, he's winning the slam. Two things I'll say. First of all, mentally, I think Sitsipas, I don't know if I want to say has an edge here because how do you have an edge against someone like Djokovic and all that he's done? But the fact of the matter is Sitsipas knew going into this Zverev match that, hey, if he wanted to run at this title, this wasn't the ultimate challenge, right? And so he's still rising to the occasion. Whereas Djokovic, you know, he's gearing up for the ultimate battle in Nadal. And at this point, like you said, it is his to lose, right? He's expected to win this thing after what he just did, climbing the mountain against Nadal. And so those are two very different approaches. Now, I'm not saying Djokovic can't orient himself a little differently to think about this match in a different manner and, and, you know, really get up and be ready for the match. But to me, Tsitsipas has that sort of edge in him just by nature of the matches that they're coming on the heels of, right? Like, this is this is where they're coming in to this Grand Slam final. Tsitsipas, um, excuse me, hungry, knowing that the journey isn't over. Whereas Djokovic, sure, he hasn't won the title yet, but in his mind, he's like, well, I beat Nadal on clay. I better be winning this thing. Like To me, those are are two very different places to be coming from. And the second thing, in terms of the tennis, look, we're not going to debate and say, yeah, look, Nadal can do anything on a clay court, and so that's great. But at least from what I saw Nadal not be able to do today, and sure, a lot of this is because of how good Djokovic was, I think Tsitsipas can do. For example, getting him out wide on the forehand side of that deuce, Nadal was unable to push 
Djokovic out wide there and get the ball up and out of out of Djokovic's strike zone on the deuce side for him to return. Sitsipas loves that out wide slice serve on the deuce side. He can employ things like that and make Djokovic a little bit more uncomfortable when Nadal wasn't able to. Now, he's going to have to mix up the patterns. He's going to have to keep him guessing, hit behind him, do all of the things that you know are very tough to do, and he's going to have to execute on the biggest stage in tennis. But I, I don't hate this matchup for him. At this stage and how Tsitsipas has been playing, I really don't. I think Djokovic obviously still has to come in the favorite, but Tsitsipas has got to be in a good headspace here, and he knows that he has weapons and ability to win points that Nadal really didn't today. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Mm-hmm. No, I think that first set is crucial. If Tsitsipas can win that first set, the belief is there. And then the physical pressure that, you know, your legs start to feel a little bit heavier if you're Novak Djokovic at that point. And I think what was so impressive again about Djokovic today is that he dropped that first set and didn't waver physically, mentally. So certainly he's got that gear in him, even if Tsitsipas wins that first set. But competing in your first major, that first set becomes that much more important because of the belief it gives you. Now Tsitsipas is not a guy who lacks in confidence, but again... That match is just what you want, and a lot of people, oh, why isn't this the final? This semifinal should be the final. We don't need to play the final. I think that's, like, I, that's ridiculous. I think Stefano Tsitsipas has, A, earned the right throughout this clay court season to compete for a Grand Slam final. Like, I already listed the numbers. He has been that good throughout the course of this season, but B, he earned it. I mean, look at the wins he got in the bottom half of the draw. Win after win after win, whether it's his victory over Zirev here, whether it's his victory over Medvedev in that quarterfinal round whether it's the fact, you know, again, Carreno Busta, who was the 12th seed, the seed in his section in the fourth round, Isner, who was the seed in his third round match, and then Pedro Martinez, who we know has been really, really good, top 50 guy on clay, Chardy, who's been one of the hottest players this season, first round. Not only was his draw, you know, worthy of a draw to get to a final of a Grand Slam, but I just think, again, you look at it, semifinals now at his last three slams, first final here, like, I'm ready for this matchup. I need one more. I need to see Djokovic knock off Nadal, then get over this hump as well. To truly, like, again, to beat Nadal in itself is no doubt a major victory. But I would like to see him knock off the next gen who are knocking at the door to really solidify it. Like, I have no problem with this end to the narrative. No, I mean, look, this is this is fine. Um, is it necessarily fair, in my opinion, of how the draw broke? Probably not. But look, it is what it is. And if you're going to win the tournament, you still have to beat those people eventually unless some crazy upset happens. And No, it is what it is. Now, I think there are going to be several more additions of Big 3 versus the next-gen challenger. I mean, that story is certainly still being written um, with another chapter of it being this final match. But again no i think you're right it's a fine end to this tournament and both of these players have gotten big wins when it counted the most and so yeah they they deserve to be in the final of this tournament i think that's that's simply that's simply the way it is you know when we talked about the semifinal slate of four players you and i both agreed yeah this is right these are the four players that have been the best these are the four players who deserve to be in this spot so it's not surprising that regardless of how the semis broke the same the same theme carries into the finals for me Mm -hmm. no it's 
It's fair, and that is what's going to make the men's singles final so exciting in that Sunday's match, 9 a.m., Djokovic taking on Stefano Tsitsipas. But, of course, on Saturday, we've got the women's singles final, Barbara Krejcikova taking on Anastasia Pavlachenkova. This was a match we talked a little bit about yesterday when we recapped their semifinals to recap how each of these players got here. We'll start with Krejcikova, number 33 in the world, wins over Pliskova, Alexandrova, Svitolina, Stevens, Coco Goff, and Maria Sakari. She's only dropped two sets in this tournament. It was the set she dropped against Pliskova in the first round, the set she dropped against Sakari in the semifinals. You look in terms of ELO ratings for Krejcikova, she ranks number uh, 27 in overall ELO. You look clay court ELO rating, she's a little bit higher than that. She's at number 19. You look for her 2021 specific ELO rating, she's at number 15. You look last 52 weeks, 42 and 16 made the final in Dubai before getting knocked off by Muguruza, won Strasbourg in a warm-up event the week before this, and enters this Grand Slam final now, Jamie, on an 11-match winning streak. And the one thing you can't replicate, or two things, I suppose, are momentum and experience. And Krejcikova certainly has that. She, uh, you know, is a Grand Slam champion in doubles multiple times in both women's doubles and mixed doubles. So she's played in this moment before. She's clearly playing the best tennis of her career. You look now for Krejcikova in the live rankings. Even if she doesn't win another match, she'll enter next week at a new career high of number 21, and it's a joke that she would still be outside the top 20 at this point, but whatever, that's a discussion for another time. Let's just start on that side of the equation. I know I asked you this yesterday, but just for Krejcikova, she's earned this run. I mean, you look at those names, Sakari, Goff, Steven, Svitolina, Alexandrova, those are five victories you earn on your pathway to your first Grand Slam title. I, I mean, sure. Given how the draw breaks out, yes. Um, but overall, no. I don't. I mean, look. I don't. I don't think it was a crazy impressive. Svitolina completely folded. Sloane Stevens had no business being in the fourth round. Golf completely folded. So I, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm not trying to take a lot away from her because you saw how she was able to dig out of really compromising positions. Specifically, talking about that semi against Sakari. Yeah, look, she was able to compete, and she knows how to win matches. So in that sort of, and in that sort of, you know, logic, sure, she's deserved to be here because she's worked her way through the draw. She has not been eliminated. It's as simple as that. But at the end of the day, we have a final of an unseeded player versus the 31 seed. Um, and so it leaves a lot of question marks. Again, we don't need to belabor you know, what that means for the game and, and how we got here. But yeah, at this point, it's Krejcikova who is really hard to put away, not only in matches, but also specifically point to point. You know, you'll get her stretched to an outer third and she'll just throw up a moon ball. And a lot of these players simply don't know what to do and how to beat her. Um, and especially on how these on these courts, it's working. It's simply working, and she's giving herself out of compromising position. So in that sense, yes, yeah, she deserves to be there because she's won the matches. But further than that, I, I, I don't know how confident I can say and like, wow, this is awesome. You know? No, let's belabor the point a little bit. I disagree with you. We talk about the parity in the women's game all the time. Who are the players who have been in the mix? Coco Goff is top 10 by ELO metrics, and she's inside the top 25 for the first time in her career of the live rankings. And she is someone who has been in the mix in every event she's played this season. That was a quarterfinal win. I think a justified quarterfinal win. Sloane Stevens was excellent in the first week of this French Open. This was the best she's looked in over a year and a half. I disagree with 
the premise that now she did not play a good round of 16 match, but Krejcikova took it to her. And Krejcikova is just, again, how a high her floor is as a player. She can just do so many different things and she can win matches in so many different ways. And, you know, again, to beat Alexandrova, to beat Svitolina, and then the win over Sakari, who's also been in the mix in every event she's played this season, like... Uh, entering this tournament, there was one prohibitive uh, favorite, you know, given Ashley Barty's injury, and that was Iga Sviantek, and Sakari knocked her out, and Krechakova knocked Sakari out 9-7 in the third set. Like, it's not her fault that the prohibitive favorite, and there's only one of them in the women's game right now entering this event, and that was Sakari, but it's not her fault Sakari got knocked out, and to Krechakova's credit, she has, she has, you know, beaten every seed that's been put in front of her, and there have been four seeds put in front of her. Did you say the prohibitive favorite was Sakari? No, the prohibitive favorite was Sviantek, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, sure, again, that's that's a matter of, yeah, she's beaten the people in front of her. That's that's why she's here. But do I think this is, you know, an incredibly impressive field with people who are playing to their best? And I, it, it comes down to this. There's really good players who have been playing phenomenally across the last, let's say, 12 months, maybe less, maybe more. But the people like Azarenka and Sabalenka, who Pavlyuchenkova got through. Okay, that's impressive in its own right. But to me, is it not more of a story of these players folding and not being able to close out opportunities and act consistently from major to major? To me, that's much more the narrative of, hey, nobody is able to consistently week in, week out, beat players and show up. Rather, it's just sort of this hodgepodge of who's happening to be playing better in this two-week stretch. And sure, there's some excitement in that, and that's great, but at the end of the day, like Krejcikova and Pavlyuchenkova haven't been taking over the tour and taking it by storm over the last year, or else the rankings would reflect that a little bit more. It's, it's just it's interesting to see that these these players, especially for someone like you who loves to talk about the non-major so much, that those players who have dominated those non-major tournaments aren't able to consistently show up for a two-week stretch at the French. But that's what I'm trying to say is Sakari and Goff have been dominating those non-major events, and they did show up at the French. That they make the quarterfinals, the semifinals, I don't think should be a shock if you're watching week in, week no, out. No, again, and that's we both we both agreed that those weren't shocks, those two results we said. No, but Sakari. sure, but okay, and Krechikova beats the seed Svitolina in that section, and yes, Svitolina is susceptible to the upset, but Krechikova pulls it off, and you know, again, to your point about the lack of a dominant figure, and we talked about this a little bit last time but like osaka's won the last two hard court majors and it's she not is even the, one uh, figure though it's multiple i mean it's like look at look at the semifinal field it's not that it's not that there's not just one person like a serena as of a few years ago it's that it's this complete rotating cast of unexpected in some ways but, getting uh, to these so stages. again osaka makes wins back-to-back hard court titles kennan makes back-to-back finals 20 or two out of three finals 2020 australian open 2020 french open like, again, Andrescu hasn't yeah, been healthy. Kenan, There's no denying. And Kennan didn't make it here. Osaka pulled out even while everyone was talking about how poor she had looked on the clay and how Bedosa was going to upset her. So, like, they're not here. They didn't make it to okay, last stages. Okay, but th- that's a vacuum. Look at the past slams. Like, they were in the past four of them or whatever. Okay. Well, then how do we every year have conversations at multiple slams about, like, all of these people showing up and so much of it gets chalked up to parody in the women's game. And like to a certain extent, yes, I agree with you. There's a ton of young talent and they're grappling for their positions in that order. I get that. I'm more than happy about that because it makes the game exciting. But at the end of the day, are you really going to sit here and tell me that these are the two best players on tour fighting for this important title? Like not even close. 
I think these were the two best players over the course of the events. I agree. Week in, well, week out, these are not the two best the players. <laughs> but that's but that's not what we were talking about. That's two different discussions. Well, I, that's the that's the easiest take in the world to say, yeah, they've been the two best players because they've won their matches. Man. Okay, like, that's, that's fine. not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not reflective of somebody showing up and being able to consistently say, hey, I can make it to this stage. I can close out the field. Or we as a group, even the looks look on the men's side of the next-gen crop of the Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, those guys coming in consistently. No, they maybe have not won Grand Slam titles, but as we just talked about, they are showing why that they consistently make the quarters, the semis, and are knocking on that door over and over and over. We're not, we're not necessarily seeing that because there's all these different names coming in. And sure, there's a ton of different factors here we can talk about, including best of three set format. I get that. But at the end of the day, it, it just becomes it just becomes a weird situation. It, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It, it serves as very entertaining that we have no idea who's going to show up um, in the finals of tons of these majors. Sure, when you've got people healthy, you expect to see someone like Ash Party or Osaka on the hard courts like you've mentioned a couple times, and that's that's more than fair. But at the end of the day, how do we keep having this conversation of like, oh, wow, look at these people who showed up in the quarters. Didn't see that coming, right? Like again not saying that's necessarily bad because there's an excitement to that and i understand that value but at a certain point that to me comes down to a lack of consistency for some of these players of being able to achieve things at the big majors i where i disagree osaka kennan shviantek and none of them are here Okay, this that's one major. Shvantec got knocked out in the quarterfinals. Like she was there. Yes, she didn't make the final, but she was right there in that stage. Like that group, I would take. Oh, and Barty, that's the name I'm missing. Give me those four over Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, and Rublev or Berrettini, whomever you'd like to throw in as the fourth there, and their consistency at the majors over these past three seasons versus the men's consistency at the majors at the past three seasons. Again, Barty was injured in this event. Osaka pulls out of this event. You're, this is one example and I don't think it's fair to extrapolate this example over the course of the entire season because, again, you look at the last four majors, one of those four players have been in the final stages and prior to this one taking home the title. So it's like they have been there. That consistency is there. This event is the extreme. It's the first time in the open era, six quarter finalists, first time in the open era, four first time uh, semi-finalists as well. But I, I, I don't think it's fair to extrapolate this tournament over uh, over the course of the entire tour. Okay, but this isn't necessarily a new idea either. With Look at how many people have been able to have not been able to rather defend their titles besides Serena at these slams. I mean, just look at the last slams that have been won and how many non-repeats there are and people who have shown up. And I'm not saying that some of them haven't done great things like the Osaka you mentioned, like Kennan that are showing up deep, but it's not this, this major is not an anomaly in the sense that we get to the latter stages of a women's draw and we're like, wow, that's crazy that that happens. Like we've had that conversations that conversation multiple times and we can go back through the pods and talk about how we have because yeah there's the there's the there's that there is that group that shows up a lot yes they're not in this one i get i get your point that in other majors they have but dude we've had this conversation so many times about like wow this is weird over the last few years I okay, but that I don't think that's the same conversation as the as the point you're trying to make. I think Krachikova versus Pavlichenkova is absolutely an anomaly. And again, we can get back to the match now because this is a conversation I'm sure we will continue to have over the next few seasons. But I mean, you look at this matchup. 
for Pavlochenkova. She is someone who has been in the mix. I mentioned this yesterday, top 50 since 2008. And you look at her consistency in the years across surfaces. She's won 58% of her total WTA tour matches, 59% of her hard court matches, 59% of her clay court matches. Now, the big experience gap for her comes down to me, matches she's played against top 50, top 20, and top 10 opponents. She's earned 171 wins over top 50 players, 71 wins over top 20 players, 36 wins over top 10 players. You compare that to Barbara Krejcikova. She's earned two wins over top 10 players, four wins over top 20, 13 wins over top uh, 50. The experience edge goes to Pavlochenkova. I mean, there's no denying you look at her pathway to get to these finals. She has earned her spot here. Wins over Sabalenka, Azarenka, Rybakina, Zidanzik, Tomjanovic, and Mikhail. Your thoughts on where she is entering this event, and again, tactically, the breakdown. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. I, again, I very much give a lot of credit to Pavlochenkova and what she's able to do, what she's been able to do in these matches and figuring out the chess. Right, coming through three set matches back to back against Sabalenka and Azarenka is really, really tough to do. Um, and then also following that up in the quarters by beating Rabakina nine seven in the third, incredibly impressive. And so her ability to do that and to beat those players and just figure out ways to win. I mean, that's been very entertaining to watch. I think when you get to the matchup against Krejcikova, it becomes interesting because you start to think, how is she going to win points? How is she going to finish points more importantly? Because if Krejcikova is able to defend and throw up the moon ball and scramble for points like she was in the semis, like she's been able to do this entire tournament, it, it, it becomes a hard question to answer, right? And I think that Pavlyuchinkova has beat, I, we talked about this earlier, I think she's beaten the higher caliber of player um, throughout this, and so that's great for her. Um, she looked fairly solid in that semi, minus the start against Zidancic. It's tough. It's tough, right? Because to me, I think a lot of this match is going to be, okay, Pavlyuchinkova, the pressure is going to be on her, right? It's going to be, how am I going to win this? How am I going to win these points? How am I going to put Krejcikova away? Whereas Krejcikova can go out there, stay in some very neutral rallies, get herself out of trouble with the defense that we've seen, and then get crafty, right? And finish points in her own right. Sneak into the net, use her hands and feel, come up with those angles that she did so well in the semis. It's an interesting matchup, and I think it's... Ultimately, I think it's going to come down to can Pavlyuchenkova, when the points are on her racket, in the big moments, is she going to be able to execute or are we going to see some sprays like we saw in Sakari and that fault in confidence that we saw from Sakari in the semis? So with that in mind, give me your pick. Uh, before, uh, I got to believe in the hack and the push. Give me Krejcikova. I want it. Um, See, I, I, I just don't think Krejcikov is a hack and a push. I think we're watching two different players. I admit she turned to the moon balls against Sakari because they were did, working. Did. But have you watched the rest of the tournament when she was cracking through the ball against all of her opponents? When, again, you look in particular that Sloan-Steven match or the Svitolina match or the Alexandrova match or even that golf first set where she was just taking ball early down the, ri- uh, down the line, cross court, moving forward, doing a little bit of everything, taking that return early as well. Like, I just don't agree. Okay. I mean, feel free to voice that. That's fine. I mean, that, that, that doesn't mean that she doesn't have the hack and the push in her, and that's not – I mean, that's how she got to the final. Like, she no, wouldn't I be think in the she final. can do it all. No, that's not how she – that's what I'm saying is that's not how she got in the final. That's if she, how well, she then got why didn't she the, play like – well, then, okay, then answer me this. Why didn't she play like that, like you're talking about against Sakari? It was a swinging backhand volley winner to win the match. Like, she did play like it at times. Like, she did – that's what I'm saying is she can do a little bit of everything. 
Sure. I, I don't think that necessarily is mutually exclusive. I don't think that goes against what I said. I mean, I think that still makes it equally hard for Pavlyuchenkova to no. I'm I'm saying I don't. No, no, no. I'm not arguing against your points about the match. I just don't think she's a hack and a push. Like I think she moves well. I just I I wouldn't go to that category of categorizing her as a push. Like I I I just wouldn't go there. I mean, at a certain point, if you're moonballing returns, like I think you just simply have to be labeled that in some regard. And that's not to say that she doesn't have the other weapons that she displayed throughout the tournament. Now. Is it a little bit different when you know, she's doing that in the first couple? I, I don't know. Look, it is what it is. We don't have to debate that super hard. I think to me, though, if Krejcikova comes out and look, if she's firing plan A, ripping balls and it's working for her, great. But to me, I don't think that's how the match is going to come down. I think the match is going to come down to Pavlyuchenkova being able to attack and Krejcikova being able to defend that and hold that off. I, I just think that's how the match is going to break down especially because of the nerves that are going to be on display. And maybe that had, you know, maybe that had something to do with it in the semis with Krejcikova. We saw Sakari get a little passive in the end two and not believe in hitting through the ball at times. Yes, yeah, sometimes she was slapping too much. Then she didn't believe in the game. It was all over the place. I expect nerves to be in play in this final as well. And so that's where I think it lends itself to a more passive game style as opposed to both players believing in themselves and just cranking the ball like they were in earlier rounds. Yeah, I, again, I, I agree with your analysis. I think it's going to be an interesting match. I do think the serve for Krechikova and then her forehand when she's connecting with it are big enough weapons that if she can get that ball deep into the Pavlochenkova forehand, she can draw some errors. Similarly, I think she's going to be able to absorb, redirect the pace of the Pavlochenkova backhand better than a Zidancic was, better than you know uh, some of these earlier opponents for Pavlochenkova were able to. And I just think... I think she's been in a Grand Slam final before, and I don't think she's she's just so poised and point to point the routine stays the same. And again, she had a match point overruled by a line judge. The chair umpire chair overrules, and there was no wavering. There was no you know doubt that emerged for her. She just carried on with the match, was able to close it out. At the same time, it just feels like this is Pavlochenkova's moment. Like, it does feel like the wins over Vika, the wins over Sabalenka, the way she followed it up over Zidancic. She's got the hot hand, but... I mean, again, I think Krechikova, when you play on this surface, she just has time to get into her patterns, time to swing through the ball more than she would on a quicker surface. And I just think she's got the gumption of having played in a Grand Slam final before. I lean Krechikova in two close sets, like a 5-5 five and five match. But I don't feel good about it. Like, I, I would feel better picking Pavlochenkova because I don't think she's going to be uh, impacted by the moment. I think she's got it all figured out. Yeah. No, and look, honestly, I, I think my decision probably was swayed a little bit when I saw the, the odds come out. Um, the oh, betting what odds are the odds? Wait, wait, let me guess, let me guess, let me guess. Uh, let Cre- me see what they're at right now. Okay, he's looking that up. I'm going to give my I gave guess. you a bit of a hint in saying that I was swayed by it, but yes, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to say Krechikov is minus 142. On my book, Bovada, I've got minus 130, uh, and Pavlochinkova is at plus 105. Ooh, yeah, um, that, and uh, and has that moved towards either of the players since you last looked? I think the last time I looked, it was slightly more in the favor of Krejcikova. I think it was more in the one thirty-five, one forty range. Um, but I don't. It was it was very close in that sense. And so, I, again, it's so difficult. It, look, like the rest of this tournament, who the hell knows what's going to happen, right? Like you could go out there and I could script that match a million different ways, and it's like, yeah, I could, you know, logically, I could see that happening. I could see this happening, you know. It's it's just tough for me. By the way, this, I, this just randomly came to me. With that backhand swinger she hit, was that down match point against Sakari? 
was it was it either down match point or I think it was match. down I think it was down match point because Makes I the was gumption that much more impressive I know exactly and I was hoping she would miss it and I don't know how cleanly she struck <laughs> it it came off it was a sharp angle good for her anyway regardless the fact that she can do that in the big moments I think does really help her like you mentioned she's not going to be afraid of this stage at all even though she is an unseated player in the final that mentality that's within her she's not going to feel like that she's not going to feel out of place especially because and this really helps her she's not playing one of those big names that has 100%. been there multiple times right she's not playing against somebody who is a huge name yep. who's done this who has these grand slam titles she's playing against somebody who arguably is going to be more nervous than her showing up at this stage so i think that really works in her favor and although i yeah give me krejcikova i'm sticking with it no, I, I hate to disagree, and I knew I should have – first of all, I f***ing knew I should have veered, veered in my picks yesterday. Uh, hey, great shot, um, because I just like – there was so much love for Tsitsipas and Nadal, and we got it right when we said five sets in that match. We knew it was going the distance. I thought Zverev was going to win that five set, and I still think he should have, and I'm not rooting for him. I'm just rooting for myself to be correct about his tennis game at this point. Let's be clear. Um yeah, just if we're being frank. Um, that's uh, that's honestly why I still feel invested, because I was like for so long that he was going to be so good, and I would still like to be right about that fact. Um, but, like, and ditto, and we talked about it. We said Djokovic could very— Like, we said it. We said he was going to win the match. Like, we were very, very much— And I was, on the be- I was on the edge of making the pick, and it's like, same deal here. It just feels like Krejcikova is probably too easy of a pick, and it's just like— Yep. It's, it's tough. Everyone's going to be picking her, and that's why Pavlochenkova may be the pick, but I'm just going to stick Krejcikova to close straight sets. And, and what honestly what swayed me a little bit, I thought Pavlochenkova was going to be the favorite when I looked at the odds. Nah. I thought it was going to be – and I thought she was going to be like minus 120. I was a little surprised in, in that, right? Um, and look, again, I can logic my way around it. And again, I'll, we, won't, we shouldn't give ourselves too much credit. I, I did think Nadal was going to win today. I did say that if Djokovic wins a set, like – you should be scared because that means he's playing at that level. But I still, you know, I'll stand by my pick. I did say Nadal was going to win. I did say Sitzboss was going to win. So yay, one for two. Got to love the fifty percent. <laughs> Got to love the fifty percent win right there. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, the, to me, it feels like a coin flip in this one. And so at the end of the day, you got to pick heads or tails here. And I, that's <laughs> that, that that's really what it comes down to because I don't think necessarily. Yeah, if Krejcikova wins this mm-hmm. event. Do you think it makes more sense, or do you think it makes more sense if Pavlyuchenkova wins this? Just take out the tennis between the two, given their journeys, given everything else in the story. Which one do you think? Like, yeah, that feels more right. I'd say Krejcikova. It does. It feel like I think it See, feels me, pretty I right for going, both of them. It feels I was pretty the right for both way. of them. I was leaning the opposite way, given how good Pavlyuchenkova was in the juniors, given all of that storyline, what she's been able to beat in terms of the caliber of player, especially with you know the third and fourth round back to back, like. That whole thing, I was like, okay, you know, this is the storyline I'm following. And so in some ways, it will feel unfair to say anticlimactic because that doesn't mean Krejcikova didn't go out there and earn the win when it comes to that final match. I get that. But in terms of like, oh, it eventually came around. She was that prodigy from such a young age. It's finally manifesting here. Like that story, I guess, just makes a little more sense to me. And that's why I was thinking it would be nice to sort of marry those ends there. But again... Who knows? And it's not all about that sort of narrative. No, and it's not like Krejcikova was a bad junior player. And again, she's no. a, f- a former world doubles number one, and she made the Dubai final earlier this year. And it's all clearly clicking for her. Um, 
but no, they both have pretty fairly equal cases. And again, it's it's interesting to hear Krejcikova, the early money line favorite. Can I give an early guess for Djokovic? Tsitsipas is it up now? Uh, I think it's probably up. Let me go look at my book. While you check, um, I'm going to yeah, guess Djokovic minus 275. It's close. Uh, minus 250 is what I've yeah, got. Yeah, 275. at plus 110. See, and it probably should be minus 350, but that's a physical thing, and that uh, you beat Nadal, how much do you have left in the tank sort of Well, thing. and again, I mean, these the, look, that line right there, the minus 250 versus plus 210, that's very similar for what we saw. That's, that, isn't that pretty much smack dab in between the two semis we saw today with Sverev being the underdog there and then Djokovic being the underdog there? It's, it's a similar sort of line, and you know maybe they're afraid to make one too huge of a favorite versus the other at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, Djokovic comes in, you know, he's a favorite to win at minus 250, right? Like that's... Feels, that feels about right. Maybe you could say you go up into that minus 300 zone given all that he's done in his career and just the, the, the large disparity there. But, yeah, I mean, Tsitsipas at plus 210 to win. If you're, if, I mean, if if, if, I, if someone were to come to you and say, hey, I want to bet an underdog, I'm going to bet Tsitsipas 210, plus 210 to win, would you be like, don't do that, that's awful? Or would you be like, yeah, there's some value there? Yeah, there would be some value there. Again, they made it appealing enough. There's no denying that. Um but no, I think just overall, we get two very fun, very different scripts heading into the final two days of the 2021 French Open. And of course, there have been so much tennis played over the last two weeks, and we're well aware challenger action carrying on. ATP grass court season, WTA grass court seasons already underway. We'll be back later on in the weekend to recap all of that action, but for now we're focusing on the home stretch of the year's second Grand Slam. If you have missed out on any of the action, you can catch up on it all on our website crackrackets.com. We have done mini break podcasts recapping each day's action day in, day out, so you all don't miss a beat of the matches unfolding in Paris. Of course, you can find all those mini break podcasts wherever you listen to your feeds and i will ask you like rate subscribe view this show the great shot podcast cracked interviews podcast and all of our crack rackets ventures if you need the more immediate updates of course twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly i'm at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max Fligner and daniel westoff for the <laughs> of an editing job they do day in day out a shout out as well to our friends at tennis point remember tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 With that in mind, Jamie, any final thoughts before we head into the final two days of the French Open? Yeah, I'm going to pull a you, something completely unrelated and down to the Challenger Tour. Let's play Guess the Lines again because I have everything up and it's ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Playing tomorrow later in the morning or probably just into the afternoon for you on the East Coast there. Riffis and Eubanks. Guess the line there. Riffis, no. No. Eubanks, Eubanks minus 125. Okay, a little more, minus 185. So a bit heavier of a favorite, and Riffis at plus 145 to win. That is but, lo- that's because Sam's been excellent and everyone's on to it. But anyway, I figured that would be interesting. That's but a yeah, good Eubanks one. Eubanks at minus 185 to win. I figured you'd find that interesting. What's the Riffis other match? What's the other match? Uh, that's the only one they have on the book at the moment. Playing. I don't know if they just haven't updated. No, yeah, that's, a, just... that's a fun one. I'm telling you, the only threat to Riffis leaving Florida is his pro career. Like, otherwise he'll be back. Unless he rips <laughs> off two, three challenger titles, wins a match at the U.S. Open, and then it's like, Coach, I have to leave. And it, Coach will be like, yeah, you do. Like, it's time like, yeah, for you to fair. go. No, yeah. I... But anyway, I thought you'd appreciate that. Now, French Open, extremely, extremely excited to see 
how these finals unfold. Um, you know, it'll be fun throughout the weekend. I'm sure you and I will chat uh, quite a bit during these matches, and even as we see the doubles unfold too, because there's always some fun value there as well. No doubt, and I believe we have a live show, perhaps a pregame show in the works mm-hmm. for pre-French Open. So be on the lookout for that. We'll go on 30 minutes before the men's final on Sunday. Then we'll go live during the third set or the final set of the match. So be on the lookout for all of that. And as always, again, to catch up on all the content, go to our website, crackrackets.com. But with that in mind, Jamie, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Fliegner and Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 